before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to the truth prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. With these two beautiful children in my life, I want to make sure that any experience I have with them, every moment I have with them, should it be my last, I want it to be ideal. Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gavis, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks. Just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. Gentlemen and ladies, welcome back to The Truth Prescription. This is episode number 52. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gavis. For today's show, I had the opportunity to talk to business coach and the Hidden Entrepreneur podcast host, Josh Carey. Josh is also the CEO of a digital marketing company for pet sitters and dog walkers. And before all this, the coaching and the podcasting and the marketing, he spent 15 years as an actor and filmmaker. So how does one transition from an actor to an entrepreneur? Well, Josh says the journey started way back in middle school. It all started in eighth grade. I got bit by the acting bug, quite surprisingly. I was in a change of class. We were in the hallway, and Renee Stevenson, I'm not even sure she knows that this, that she was the catalyst for all this. We were, we were changing classes. We were passing each other in the hallway. She said, hey, Josh, are you going to audition for the school play today? And just trying to please and fit in, I was like, yeah, you know I am. <laughs> but I didn't know anything that was happening, like usual. I just found out that there's a school play with auditions. I was like, oh, why not? Maybe I'll fit in there. I had no clue what to expect. As fate would have it, I got cast. It was a drug awareness play. And I got cast as the comic relief <laughs> As you know, the comic relief is the one responsible for breaking the tension in any dramatic moment through through laughter. So I was the one bumbling around on stage, which is what I learned to get good at. You know, that whole covering up the real feelings with what turned out to be all through my life, an air of immaturity, just trying to cover those feelings with diversion of comedy. So um, I was uh, jumping around the stage and making my eighth grade classmates laugh in bulk. Now, really, <laughs> they were they were laughing at me. You know, <laughs> I could understand that now. I'm like, ah, they were laughing at me, not with, but I didn't care. And it felt good. I was like, hmm, they're giving me attention. I like this. Something I'm doing is positively affecting them. And they're giving me that feedback. I like this. I want more of this. I went home. Mom, I want to be an actor. And I don't know if she believed me or cared, but I did. <laughs> 
Right, one of the two. Uh, so <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> or cared. Right. Well, you know, good old mom. Tr- yeah, the, the truth, truth. The truth prescription. The truth will right? set you free if you there let you it. There you go. And God bless my mother. <laughs> she's she's still alive and well today. Thank God. So is my father. And uh, I know it's just it's just great. I then went through high school and I had my eye on that acting prize and through high school auditioned for community theater, which was great. And, um, school plays, which was great. I got all A's in performing arts class, but all C's and D's in every other class, you know, no student here, not, <laughs> not the big academic. <laughs> so looking towards college, I applied to Montclair state, New Jersey, shout out. I had auditioned for the BFA acting program and who knows how, but they were like, yeah, sure, come on in, we'll take you. So I got accepted to the BFA acting program at Montclair. But here's the catch. With the acting program at Montclair State, you have to re-audition for your spot every year. It was meant to keep the acting students improving in their craft, but not for Josh. He was aware of the requirement, but didn't think he had anything to worry about. At the end of my freshman year, cue the suspenseful dramatic music. We had our final auditions for the dean. We then had our one-on-one meetings, and it was my turn to hear my fate. Will I be going on to sophomore year? I had no reason really to believe that I wouldn't. Truth be told, I that was the one thing really through much of my life that I I threw myself in. I showed up. Attendance, they made it clear, was a big part. So I made sure through rain, snow, sickness, whatever, I showed up to class. Apparently that wasn't enough. So I go into my meeting with the dean and it's like a dramatic movie close up on the tissue box front and center on the desk right in front of my chair. So as I'm walking in slow motion thinking, why is the tissue box there? I quickly found out. I sit down and she told me, um, we're not going to ask you to return. And I started. Why? Because you had C's and D's in your, your academic classes? Well, probably because I didn't go to my academic classes. No, this was this was isolated to really if if I'm being honest, I could observe that I came I was 19, so young, so green in so many ways, and I probably wasn't good. I probably So they were saying good. they weren't asking you to come back to the BFA program. Oh, correct. You could come back to Montclair State, yes. but not the BFA program. Exactly. Should I should I have chosen, I could have stayed at Montclair. But in, you chose not to. Right. So um as I'm like tearing up, funny enough, as I'm tearing up in her office, she says to me, You see, you could use this for life experience. So that's a clue. I probably didn't have enough life experience. Not a great comment to hear any which way. I know. It's like, oh, thanks, Dean. So it's terrible. I, I know. Right. Like, <laughs> that's what she said. As, a, as I'm 19-year-old crying, you see, you just need a little more life experience. And this is one. Oh, thanks. Do I keep this tissue? So I was asked to leave, have to go back to my parents' house, figure out what I'm going to do. Josh didn't let this bump in the road stop him. He wanted to be an actor, so he found other opportunities to pursue. 
New York City is easily accessible from New Jersey, and it didn't take long for Josh to get a new gig to keep his acting dreams afloat. He found an audition notice for a New York City theater conservatory. He auditioned and got accepted. Things were looking up. But sometime after his acceptance, he came to a realization about himself and his talent. Acting, singing, and dancing, two of those things aren't my strength. Which two? Yeah, what do you think? I wasn't a great dancer. I wasn't, a, I wasn't a great singer. I pulled it off in the two years. But it turns out I was a very good actor. And using my eighth grade comedy chops, I was a good comedy performer. And I met my roommate who also happened to be a good comedy performer. And we found very quickly that what we were doing behind the scenes together, cracking each other up, probably had bigger legs that we can make work. So we were like, we should probably do something with this vibe and this this shtick that we're doing. So we wound up having a really fun, cool, successful seven-year career together as a comedy duo, much like Abbott and Costello type stuff, a Seinfeld twist to things, very observational humor. For a while, Josh was able to get by with his acting endeavors, but soon fell into a rut after the comedy duo split up. He still found satisfaction in having an outward attention and approval of others. He took the validation of a job well done in acting and tried to find it in other aspects of his life. But the world outside of the stage doesn't respond that way. There isn't always an audience, and life doesn't come with the kind of satisfaction that you get on stage. And Josh had to learn this over time. Also during this time, Josh got married and moved to Texas. Now, he thought that a new relationship and new location was just what he needed. We together made the decision, why don't we leave New York? and move to Texas because our problems are here. They're not there. You see, here's where our family is. Here's where all this negative stuff is. But if we move halfway across the country, you know things are going to be better. Which city in Texas? San Antonio. It's a nice city. It is a great city. We had a three-year marriage, unhealthy, but it was a marriage you know, trying to figure things out in San Antonio. And I always said, it's it's not bad here. I can make this work. Didn't make it work. Ended that three-year marriage, had to run back to my parents' place in New Jersey. To Again. Try to, you, you notice <laughs> who's keeping score? Say coo, who's keeping score? Again, right? That's twice. Knock, knock, knock. Right. Who is Ma- it? Mom is like, yeah. you again? <laughs> I know, right? You, you still an actor? What? Now, back home with his parents, Josh tries to get back into the dating scene, but he also starts to learn a little about himself and his habits. Becoming self-aware in this stage of his life starts to bring a bit more clarity. I've always been drawn to to self-development, self-growth, self-care, and self-awareness. What I realized today is that's everything. You have to become so self-aware so you could react and respond and control your emotions accordingly. So after I, to tie it into this part of my life story, I ran back to my parents' house now trying to figure out. So now I'm, I'm like really out of the entertainment industry. And your first wife, she stayed in San Antonio. Yes. Okay. 
Yes, exactly. So I come back to Jersey, try to pick myself up slowly, but surely go back into the dating world because I'm not stupid, right? I want to, I want to keep busy, figure things out and, you know, give myself some self-worth that way. So I'm like, let me try dating again. So I, so I find a girl who, you know, spoiler alert, she's the one who becomes my committed girlfriend and now my current wife. I meet her. And what is so interesting about this path and, and this is where self-awareness comes into play. I knew from the beginning, and she knew from the beginning, that this, this is it. This is the one. But I wasn't, I wasn't ready. I resisted it over and over again. We had, we had date one, date two, date three, and then I, and then I went running for the hills because I'm like, no, 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 I, I, I can't do this. I'm not ready for this. Then, you know, I, I, I got dragged back, right? <laughs> and then we had, you know, again, date four, five, six, seven, eight. And then I was like, no, 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 this is, you know, it, it's so good. I, I just can't. I, I'm not, this isn't going to work for me. So that went on for some time. And then we had, uh, or she had a heart to heart, really. She said, just so you know, we are committed now. You're not leaving anymore. This is it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> it's like, I got it's like it. that old, old Eddie Murphy uh, comedy. <laughs> He's like, do you hear me, honey? Okay. Exactly. Okay. She's like, look, I'm sick of all this, like running and coming back. You're in, okay? This is it. This is what's meant to be. I tell you a quick funny story. Friends of ours, <laughs> the the guy was essentially kind of doing the same thing, and he sat her this woman down, and he said, "You know, we're gonna break up because you know, blah blah blah." And she looked at him across the table and says, "No, we're not." <laughs> <laughs> They're married today with two kids. So anyway, I gotta tell you, in. <laughs> You, you know, this, no, no joke. I had, because I actually tried to break up with her on multiple occasions. And she told me not in those exact words, but when I tried over the phone one time to break up with her, she's like, okay, wait, 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 wait a second. Let's talk tomorrow, right? We'll, we'll pick this conversation back up. And so we certainly didn't break up. We, we stayed together because again, I acknowledge it's exactly what I wanted, what I needed. But I was so scared of that mature decision. Everything about me was, you know, fear, immaturity, insecurity, desperation, neediness. So when I finally am confronted with a legit relationship, I, I didn't know how to respond to it. I always knew I would make a great father. Something in me told me that mm, you're going to want to be a father. You're going to look forward to this. I always thought that, yeah, I, I, I want children. I want to look forward to it. I want to be a good father. But I also knew that I never would have allowed myself to be in that mature position to approach a committed girl and say, honey, I'm ready. Let's, let's do this. Let's have children. But the universe or God or your higher power, whatever you believe in, took me by the hand and set me up a little differently. One September morning, I get a call from my, my girlfriend who were in, in, in this committed relationship. And she says, are you sitting down? And I, yeah, yes. And she says, we're pregnant. And I immediately said, this is fantastic. After that, his life was changed. 
And Josh credits his children to his discovery of the truth about self-awareness. So cut to today, I have two extraordinary children that I always give shout outs to because they inadvertently or vertently, vertently became my light, my, my saving grace. I have a five-year-old daughter, Danica, three-year-old son, Harrison, who have become my mirror for what I need to do. They showed me early on how perfect life is and how perfect they are. And I saw all my ability and capability that I was denying and ignoring that truth for 40 plus years of my life. I saw it front and center with these two human beings that I have the honor right? I'm a proud father. I have the honor of being right next to and part of. I almost got to a point where it's like, you know what? I don't care anymore what happens. I, I can't, I can't keep ignoring, denying, turning my back on this power, this ability, this skill and talent within me. Let me explore it. So I realize that from the minute I wake up to the minute I go to sleep, I have a series of unhealthy habits, small, medium, and large, that I'm doing consciously, deliberately, subconsciously, and those aren't serving me. Those aren't going to get me much further than where I am now. So I have to change that, and I had the luxury of, let's go back to my two amazing children who were mirroring me every step of the way, showing me the power within and the beauty within. And I knew, you know what? Now's the time. It's like a light bulb went off in Josh's mind. Over time, he had these beautiful children. He had their lives, well-being, and innocence to worry about. After some thinking, his lifelong pursuit to get the approval and validation of others seemed insignificant. Why was the approval of others so important to him? It shouldn't be. Those external approvals shouldn't matter. So finally, I saw the strength within myself through my two children. I said, you know what? These are the only two that I need to worry about how they feel about me. If I can lessen the amount of people that I care that I'm seeking approval from, Let me start with just saying, how about these two right here? And believe me, they adore me. And they always have, even in my unhealthy way. I didn't like me, but they were always, you're the best daddy in the whole world. I love you. And I'm trying to reciprocate that healthy, unhealthy, a little mix. And then I just realized I can't concern myself of these external people seeking approval for. And the whole irony is looking back, the people that I was desperately seeking approval from, I don't even like. They're not even good people. So it's just so interesting when you when you really look at it that way. How are you showing up? And now today, so I, I have all these these habits that I acknowledged from start to finish in my day. And I just started saying, okay, this one has to go, this one has to go, this one has to go. But the trick is you don't just remove them. You have to replace them with better habits. So I started doing that very slowly but 
surely one little thing at a time, making sure not to bite off more than I can chew. And funny enough, the people that I feared would retaliate are nowhere to be seen. Some other good things came out of Josh's newfound self-awareness. He realized he could help others find their way as well. One of his business coaching tools is a process called F That Noise. Josh says it's meant to help clients look within themselves, accept their fear, and make moves beyond those fears. So I have this framework that is called F That Noise, which became the five-step process for getting me over that denial and using fear as an excuse, because that's all I did every day, right? Just using fear and excusing it all. So F that noise is the five-step process, N-O-I-S-E, to get you through that and on the way to changing. So it's all about emotion and then becoming really self-aware. So the first thing you want to do is you want to name the emotion. Sure, there's probably a few that are entangled that are your predominant emotion, and you have to put a name to it so you know exactly what it is. Is it anger? Is it despair? Is it frustration? Is it envy? Is it loneliness? What is it? You have to name it. For me, there was a lot of anger looking out because I was in that internal conflict of seeing everybody else achieving, doing, showing up, and I know that I'm able to do that, but I I had to perpetuate the story in my head, so I didn't. So it conjured up a lot of anger feelings. And our emotions, as you know, are very habitual. We get into these patterns and these habits where something we see or do or say, and we resort instantly to this known emotion Doesn't always feel good, but pain is familiar. And we go back to what is familiar and comfortable. And too often it's the pain. So this is how to get you out of that. First, you want to name that emotion. Then the O, you need to own that emotion. It's yours, right? And this goes on to uh, what you just brought up. At this point in the equation, I always ask clients the question, What's bothering you? And the trap is that they will say, oh, my boyfriend this, my wife that, my boss this. It's not who, it's what. It's yours. You have to own this. And that's the power. That's what you want, right? So it's your emotion to own. That's how you alone are going to get through this and change into the person you want to be. And you know you are. So then the I brings us to you need to identify with it. The emotion now is yours. You've named it. You've owned it. Now you want to say, I am angry. I am envious. I am so frustrated. You want to proclaim it to yourself, to your higher power, not to another person, but to yourself internally and make that declaration. You have to make that declaration. I am angry. Then we go to the S, and the S is to sit 
with it. This isn't about a long involved process. If it doesn't have to be, it's not necessarily going back to your childhood. It's not spending months in therapy to overcome this. When you sit with it, it could be a few weeks. It could be a few days, a few hours, whatever it is. The purpose of sitting with it is just for you to determine when this emotion arises. This is all becoming the self-aware part. When this emotion arises, how it shows up in your life and what what occurs that that has it coming into your life it might be around a certain time of day when you're around a certain person when there's a certain topic or scenario that's involved i was just going to say the sitting also helps you to avoid doing things to avoid the the feeling right avoid that whatever it is so if it's anger you know People drink, people play video games for 12 hours, people masturbate, people do all kind of stuff, right? Yes. To avoid it. So the sitting is really important because it helps you to just sort of not do those things. I was on a pod, I was doing a podcast before you, we were talking about heroin addiction. So, you know, taking heroin to, to preclude you from feeling those feelings. So the sitting is, is critical. It's, it is probably one of the most difficult parts of everything you just named, though, because it's, you're, you're literally, making yourself feel what you don't want to feel. Yes, I'm so glad you pointed that out. And <laughs> and it's critical. What's also is the truth here is that this is all about you being ready, willing and able to take an honest inventory about what the heck is going right. on here. Being so ready. until right. you're ready, you're going to avoid it. Like you said, you avoid it. So right, uh, you you have to come to terms with, okay, I can't keep doing this. So when you get to the sit, it is the part where you have to acknowledge. And what's also so important within this step is that you are going to, once you determine what causes it, what triggers it, when, where, and why it comes up into your world, the goal is to put a space, a gap into that awareness, that acknowledgement of here comes the emotion to the emotion actually taking over that habit because it is a habit. So we're trying to break. So now once you get more and more aware and you get more and more skilled at this, we can create a pattern interrupt and put something else in place right before the habit emotion executes within you. And then we get to the E in the process, which is the only natural, the only natural result of all this. And that is that you will evolve into the person you want to be and have always been. When you say you, you use this with clients, who are your clients? Talk a little bit about that. Who do you, who do you work with? I love to work with entrepreneurs who are at two stages of their business. One, they are just getting started to the point where they identify as an entrepreneur. But for all the reasons that I could identify with, they haven't taken that first step. They, they have the desire, they have the awareness, they have an idea perhaps or a general broad calling to it. But they know that for all these reasons, they've been holding themselves back. But they also know that they are extremely powerful and able and then it's the people right within that that middle ground, maybe three to five years in, because that's where I could identify. I spent a good portion of my career where I just kept hitting the same wall and I couldn't break through and I would just show up as the unhealthy version of myself 
completely unaware of what's happening, thinking, I just have to get something right here in the business. I have to do different marketing or, or do something different or create something better or put more work in or more effort. And then they'll like it and then they'll buy it. And then I'll, I'll get what I'm after here. And then I realized after hitting the same wall over and over again, which helped lead me to the internal and honest process that it's me. I'm the common denominator here. I'm showing up the same. It doesn't matter what I'm putting out. It's, it's all a reflection of me and my internal belief in dialogue system there. So those are the two people I like to work with. In a way, Josh's methods are helping other entrepreneurs find truth. Looking within yourself is always a great place to start. When it comes to truth, self-awareness is the biggest step to getting there. Josh, let's jump into yes or BS. Can't wait. So I'm going to say a, a statement and you say yes or BS. You can choose to elaborate or not. Number one. I usually put my radio voice on for this. Number one. The best meditation app is Insight Timer. You know it is. It's the only, <laughs> it's the only insight. It, it's the only meditation app. Meditation has become. You should have listened to that show. I interviewed the CEO of Insight Timer. Oh, but, really? Yeah, season one. Yeah. Oh, really? It's a great interview. Yep. Any, I, anyway, I, go ahead. Yeah. Proceed. I'm sorry. So, so, so you're a fan. Oh, big fan. Yeah. So meditation is the thing that has been my new drug of choice. It's, uh, it's been the game changer. It's the kind of thing that's so fascinating where up until you're ready to receive and hear something, it'll just fall on deaf ears. And that's what meditation did my whole life. I've always heard meditation. I couldn't get it, couldn't get behind it, wasn't ready until I was. And you were, yeah. Until I was. Now it's, it's a nightly practice. It's the way. All right. A number two, 5 a.m., is the best time to wake up for success. Yes, absolutely yes. <laughs> However, truth be told, I am not yet in the 5 a.m. club. I look, I, you know, I, I'd like to attend the meetings. I'd like to go to the 5 a.m. meetings, and I am a 6 a.m. clubber, which I think is good for me right now. It wasn't always the case. I inched back. I, I noticed slowly but surely, you know, you, you start following people that you want to aspire to be like and emulate and reach certain levels of success. And one thing I always notice is they all get up early. I'm like, well, I could, I could go back to those unhealthy habits, you know, start replacing one thing. I don't have to sleep until seven, seven thirty, eight o'clock every day. Even on the weekends, my wife can't understand. She's like, Oh, so tomorrow's Saturday, we're sleeping in. I'm not. I'm getting up at six. It's part of it. Excellent. And that is true. If you, if you read like Zuckerberg, uh, I mean, the list goes on. Yeah, Bezos, um, Buffett. Digital media marketing guy. Um, oh, Gary Vaynerchuk? Yeah. Yeah. Gets up at five. Like yeah. all of these guys get up at five, between five and six. Yeah. Get their day started. Tim Ferriss, same thing. Gets up at five. Get, gets his day started, does a whole routine workout, sauna, you know, meditation. What time do you get up? I've been getting up at five recently. I usually get up at six anyway, okay. but I started getting up at five once or twice a week. How is it? It's great. It is. Like right? I feel fantastic because I can get so much done. Once I get past the haze of <laughs> I'm sleepy as hell, once I can get back past that haze, 
and I, I'll get a workout in. I'll get some writing in. I'll do some meditation. I'll do some other things. And then it's seven o'clock and my kids are just starting to wake up and I can start breakfast. I can go through the whole process. Exactly. And, you know, I feel accomplished. And then like by 10 o'clock, I'm like, shit, I've been up five hours. This is great. <laughs> you know, this is great. I'm, I'm doing it. You know, what's so funny. You mentioned that once you get past the haze. And let's be real, that haze happens no matter what time you get up. You sleep until 8. It's not like you're up at 8 and you're like, oh, I'm refreshed right out of No, there's never a time you're up where you're refreshed. So there's always going to be a haze. That is very true. Number three, a great leader motivates a change in others. Is that the question? That's the or, question. Oh, I thought there was more. That's the question. A great leader motivates a change in others. Obviously, yes. Okay. Number four. <laughs> this is funny. Josh Carey will live to be 101. What? <laughs> what? So you want me to say yes or BS? That's, that's absolutely uh, wonderful to hear. I'm going to say yes. Okay. What am I gonna, no, no. That's BS. He will not. Only to 100. But it's interesting that you bring up the whole life and death topic. I've come to love the topic personally of death, and it's become very important to me. It's become a very aware part of my existence today. I used to fear the heck out of it. It used to frighten me and scare me beyond belief. It used to concern me. It used to keep, literally keep me up at night. And I would, it would just, it would just bother me so much. Today, it's something that I'm able to embrace, especially going back to the context of my two adoring children. There's a couple of things here. I'm going to be 45 this year. And that age sort of slapped me in the face when I realized on a good day, best case scenario, my life is half over. So if I make it to 90, that's a good life. When somebody passes away at 90, they don't say, oh my God, that's terrible. How did he die? 90, that's how he died. So I realized that hmm, my life is half over. I don't really like how the first half went. And this thing is going to be over, best case scenario, in the blink of an eye. And that sort of puts things in wonderful, loving perspective for me. So I want to know that if I'm, if, if, if I'm going to make it to 90 the way I was going, I would have just survived and made it to 90. Now I want to live to 90. And one final thought on that topic, I'm also very aware of the mortality within us all, right? This is a, this is a finite thing we're experiencing, and there's sometimes life ends without warning. That's what it's about, right? So for me, what helps me be my best, live my best, and show up my best is knowing that fact. Life can end at any moment without warning. Therefore, with these two beautiful children in my life, I want to make sure that any experience I have with them, every moment I have with them, should it be my last I want it to be ideal. Okay. Number five, speaking of being a father, number five, fatherhood is easier than husbandhood. 
Husbandhood is not a word. I made it up. (laughs) Fatherhood is most definitely easier than husbandhood. (laughs) Now, they are both extraordinarily challenging. However, what seems to be the case, I've been married for six plus years, and I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Marriage only has one year on that, that number. But what I'm noticing is... Only one of them is a little easier and gets a little easier. I'm going to say fatherhood gets easier. I can figure it out. Husbandhood? Oh, there's... Because you know what happens once you do figure out husbandhood? Change up, switch. Right. They don't like that. Right. They call in the pinch hitter, right? They go to the bullpen. Things have to change, right? Yes. They don't keep in the quarterback. Things happen (laughs) when they realize you you are onto them. The kids, my goodness, I'm I'm getting it. The better I am, the better it is. In the husbandhood world, <laughs> there's there's much more ammunition. That I think the wife has a, has a lot more knowledge and strength in her playbook. Mm-hmm. Oh, than, I talk about that all the time. That women are smarter than men uh, all the time. Tell me. All right, this last one, I know your answer. We've we've talked about it already, so I'm not gonna. I'm not going to bother you. I'll just say it and then I'll answer it for you. Number six, Josh Carey cares deeply about what other people think. B.S. All right. We can just move on. So, so right. Except for his kids. Thankfully. So uh, thankfully. Yes. Finally. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. All right. Well, Josh, this was good. This was good. I appreciate that's all I got for you today. I appreciate it. This is great. Amazing. How can people find out more information about what you do over at the Hidden Entrepreneur? Where can they find the, the podcast? And if they just want to contact you to potentially um, be a client. JoshCarry.com. Okay. Well, there it is. Easy enough. All right, Josh. I'm going to sign off as I always do. The truth will set you free if you let it.